This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, May 4th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, special districts elect new boards. Local COVID numbers hold steady. Community comes together to remember and grieve. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, Telluride lost a member of its community this week. David Brieske split his time between Janesville, Wisconsin, and Telluride. He passed away at his sister's home on Monday after losing a battle with Louis body dementia. He was 64 years old. Brieske was in the care of Touch of Care Hospice. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Brieske is survived by his siblings, Mark, Brian, Tim, Dan, and Sherry, his mother Nancy, and his daughter, Alicia. Telluride's Fire Protection District and Hospital District have new boards after Tuesday's election. Jim Lucarelli, Daniel Zemke, and Michael Kimball were the top vote-getters for the Fire Protection District with 742 votes, 615 votes, and 607 votes, respectively. Lucarelli was the lone incumbent on the ballot. He currently sits as the Protection District's vice president. He says it's an honor to be re-elected. I've been involved with the fire district since 1996 and uh, um, just think it's a great or a great and essential organization here in Telluride. Lucarelli notes he's excited to see the district continue to grow. It recently transitioned from being an all-volunteer department to a blend of volunteer and staff. It's really been an exciting time for the district, an exciting transition for the district. And what's really been neat is that we've been able to hire um, on full-time a lot of the I can't call them kids, but, you know, folks that uh, grew up in the department um, um, learned how to firefight, got all their training as volunteers, and now have gotten the qualifications and uh, uh, to become full-time professional. Zemke will be joining the board as a new member. Uh, it's an honor and to uh, be a part of, of a team that I know little about, but I want to learn a lot about and to help serve the residents of the county. Uh, and the district. He notes his first goal is to learn a lot. There's a a big learning curve to tackle. And then um, what I'd like to make sure is that there's adequate services in and around the district for residents, both by way of um, facilities and equipment that are probably necessary to have upgraded, and then also um, numbers, money, to make sure that there's a budget that's in place to do that as well. Zemke adds as the region continues to grow, ensuring the fire protection district has those needs covered will become even more important. Kimball agrees. He is a former Placerville fire chief. After retiring from that position, I I really wanted to keep my uh, hand uh, a bit into the the fire department and the the, uh, emergency services. And uh, I decided to run to help department uh, do what they need to do. Looking forward, Kimball notes, the district will need to continue upgrading equipment as needed and potentially add firehouses to the area. Uh, as you know, the community is growing pretty rapidly and uh, the fire department needs to keep up with that. When it comes to the hospital district, Chris Chafin, Richard Betts, and Paul Reich were elected for three-year terms with 641 votes, 637 votes, and 593 votes, respectively. Allison McLean was elected for a two-year term with 528 votes. 
Chafin and Betts are incumbents currently sitting on the hospital district board. Reich and McLean will be stepping in as new members. Reich says he's excited to build off the work the medical center and the hospital district are already doing. I'm excited. I think it's a great time to be able to to step in and, you know, continue the good work that they've done and, and uh, support the staff who had a really challenging two years. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. When it comes to what's coming down the line for the hospital district, Reich notes the new med center is an obvious piece. He's also looking forward to digging in on the work with behavioral health. You know, I come from a behavioral health world. So, you know, I've been so impressed with what they've done over the last you know, five, six years around improving the behavioral health resources there. So, you know, if I can dig in there and, and contribute in a different way um, around behavioral health opportunities and challenges that that are present and how healthcare systems can play a role in, in making our communities a healthier place. KOTO News reached out to Chafin, Betts, and McLean for comment. None were available by broadcast deadline. Also on the ballot this May was Issue A, a request from the hospital district to increase its debt, without increasing taxes, up to $68 million for the purpose of building and equipping a new medical center. The measure was approved with 968 votes in support and 150 votes against. According to the San Miguel County Clerk, 1,158 ballots were returned out of 5,200 ballots issued, for a turnout rate just over 22%. County Clerk Stephanie Van Dam notes while the turnout is quite low, it's consistent with previous May special district elections. The results from Tuesday's elections are still unofficial. Ballot counts could change based on military and overseas ballots received in the next week. Official election results will be certified later this month. For many, the COVID-19 pandemic may feel like a thing of the past. We are far away from the emergency mobilization of 2020. Nonetheless, San Miguel County continues to monitor the coronavirus. Things are still looking good on the local and state front, but um, are starting to shift. That's County Public Health Director Grace Franklin updating the Board of County Commissioners at a meeting on Wednesday. Locally, she explains, things are holding steady. It's maintained about somewhere between 7 to 10 active cases per week um, that have been identified um, through reporting. We currently have zero hospitalizations, and then looking at our incidence rate, it does remain in that lower level. Numbers from local wastewater testing, which monitors disease burden on the east end of the county, also remain low. I think that this is truly the future of how we're going to be able to look at disease burden, knowing more people are testing at home and might not be reporting quite as consistently as occurred before. We're able to see this general um, disease burden as a whole to get a better sense of um, how much COVID is in the community. But across Colorado, Franklin explains, things are starting to shift. Overall, statewide case and percent positivity continue to increase at a much more substantial rate. The seven-day moving average for cases is at about 860. That's compared to a low of roughly 300 in March. Hospitalizations are also increasing, but not as significantly, which Franklin says is encouraging. All this is happening as the more contagious BA2.12.1 Omicron subvariant continues to spread. Franklin explains it's estimated to be 25% more transmissible than an earlier subvariant, BA2. 
right now there's no evidence of increased severity, which is really encouraging. And then there's preliminary data that's suggesting um, that there is some level of immune escape. So people that have been previously infected um, with a different strain of the virus or have vaccines um, might not have as high of protection against BA.2.12.1 than previous strains. Though local numbers remain low, the county, Franklin explains, will continue to provide COVID services. It's clear that without the federal funding for testing um, and uh, vaccinations, that there's going to continue to be gaps for those um, who are either un- or underinsured or have other access needs. Regular testing and vaccination opportunities will remain. But the Depot Clinic, which has been hosting testing, will transition away from the Telluride Regional Medical Center at the end of May. The Med Center has been renting the space from the Telluride Science Research Center. Franklin says her team is working to find the next sustainable location for local testing. The Telluride region is a place of extremes. Living here, many people experience the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. But no matter what, it's always good to have others around. Earlier this week, several dozen community members came together in Elks Park in Telluride for a celebration of life put on by Tri-County Health Network, Touch of Care Hospice, and the Telluride Foundation. It was an opportunity to remember and honor the many community members who have died over the last year and a half. I'm Amy Rowan. I'm the Director of Care Coordination at Tri-County Health Network. We have about 50 people that have passed away in San Miguel County in the last 18 months. And a lot of people weren't able to have a ceremony or a remembrance. So Dr. Grundy asked us a few months ago if we would put together this through our palliative support program. I think a ceremony like this might be pleasant. This will be my first one I'm experiencing also. Hi, I'm Dr. Sharon Grundy from the Telluride Medical Center. And I also work with the palliative care group for Tri-County Health Network. Sometimes you feel like when it's, it's someone's private or family ceremony, but you knew the person, you feel maybe like an intruder or maybe I shouldn't go, or at the moment it's too intense. Like a lot of people when they're in their healing process, you know, right afterwards, it's just too much. So I think this is, some people this will be very fresh for them and their families. For others, it just might be a way to kind of have closure. Death is something that we as a society do not like to talk about. As a hospice, as with a hospice um, company, we, we want to change that. My name's Jessica Homewood, and I'm with Touch of Care Hospice, Director of Business Development. Jeff Bachman, uh, Chaplain of Touch of Care Hospice. I always tell people to, the memories are really important. Uh, the memories are what help people to live on. You know, I think about it kind of like that, uh, that ripple effect of uh, skipping a rock on the water. Uh, if we don't share those memories, then there's no ripple. But as we share those memories, the ripple goes on, and so do the memories of those that they loved. I'm Patrick Bailey. I'm the uh, pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church, uh, the first church in uh, Telluride, Colorado. I've, of course, worked with people and with families uh, for a long time, many years in my ministry, and as an Army chaplain, I mean, yes. It can be really hard, especially when we lose people the way that we do to suicide, avalanches, accidents. I think that we just all need a space to come together and know that we do have support in each other. My name's Kara Wilder. I lost a good friend, Tim Spaulding, 
couple of years ago, right at the start of the pandemic. So I'm here for him and a lot of other people. You've got to give people room and space. And a lot of times what I do with folks when they're, because they'll also feel a strong sense of guilt of what they could have done or whatever, or they're not doing this grieving right, it's important to let folks know that, look, whatever you do is fine. Too many folks are leaving us, leaving this great community. I mean, I have four written down on my card here that I knew very personally. Yeah, that's why I'm here, man. Chris Hood, they called me Woodsy Chris for a couple years around here. I was just hearing 40 plus folks in the last 18 months. Damn, like how, how, do we how do we fix that? How do we make that not happen? I think that's like a big thing on my mind today. You know, it's okay to, to be crazy one day and to be consoled the next and then be just completely broken down the next and then lifting yourself up the next and then broken down again the next. It's okay, that's, that's, the, way, that's the way grief is. That's the way it is. Ray Schaffner, I am a counselor in town. The main thing that I would want people to hear in their interactions or their relationship with grieving people is just ask, check in on them. If they don't want to talk about it, they'll, they'll let you know. But I think one of the most painful things for people who are in their grieving process, who are maybe not acutely in it, um, is that other people stop asking. Silas was a good friend of mine, and um, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about a lot of people, but um, I'm always thinking about Silas. So now Jessica is going to read um, the names of our community members and we'll have a, just a brief moment of silence after each name is read. Anissa Larson, Anna Bailey, Anna Garcia, Daniel Kuhn, Benjamin Dubin, Elvin Parker, Lori Spohr, Jack Parrott, Lebrock, Devin Overton, Bill Keys. Judith Hall, Shelley Hatcher, Hannah Smith, Jan Eford, Rick Stewart, Patrick Ells, Brittany Roman, Flynn, Ralph Weaver, Wolf, Gail Brown, Miller, Cowell, Roddy Roy Parker, Jenkins, Matt, Pugner, Hannah Israel, Sarah Hillis, Darcy Gordon, Michael National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 in English and Spanish at 1-800-273-8255. Living in the mountains can bring adventure and stoke. It can also highlight trauma and grief. In honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, the Wilkinson Public Library is partnering with a number of local nonprofits to host a workshop specifically addressing those issues. The workshop will address how mental health impacts and is impacted by the outdoors and the mountains. Outdoor-informed therapists, along with the nonprofits Survivors of Outdoor Adventure Recovery, Tri-County Health Network, and Responder Alliance will lead the conversation. The Experiencing Trauma and Grief in the Mountain Communities discussion will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library on Friday, May 6th at 5 p.m. There is also a Zoom link available for those who would like to participate virtually. Springtime means babies. Whether it's a new precious pup, a curious kitten, or the natural cycle for wildlife having babies across the state. While elk calves, deer, and pronghorn fawns are adorable to look at, it's also everyone's responsibility to keep them safe. And that means leaving them alone. This spring, Colorado Parks and Wildlife are urging people who come across baby animals to leave them be 
CBW officials note adult animals will often leave their young hidden while they forage for food. In turn, CPW says that leads to an increased number of reports of rescued or abandoned animals. Officials acknowledge the reports come with good intentions, but often result in people kidnapping young and bringing them to CPW offices. Handling or removing a young animal from its habitat will often cause more harm than good. CPW also reminds everyone that feeding wildlife is always illegal. The Colorado State Senate has passed a bill to send every taxpayer in the state a $400 refund check as soon as August. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, the state is legally obligated to send out the checks. Colorado has been collecting more tax money than it can legally spend because of the so-called Taxpayer Bill of Rights. Voters passed it 30 years ago to limit government spending. The latest round of refund checks were not supposed to go out until next year. But Governor Jared Polis and Democrats are speeding things up, a move that will put them in mailboxes months before the November election. Lawmakers are also changing the formula to give lower-income residents more money than they might otherwise get. Republicans were blasting the timing of the plan as an election year game last week. But the bill to actually send out the refunds is advancing with bipartisan support. The measure is heading to the House next for more debate. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. Thousands of people came out to two separate rallies in support of reproductive rights at the State Capitol in Denver yesterday. KGNU's Alexis Kenyon reports. Pro-choice rallies were held elsewhere in the state yesterday, including in front of the courthouse in Boulder. They were a quickly organized reaction to a leaked draft opinion that would undo federal abortion protections. Attorney Kiki Council says she was at a conference in Orlando when she first heard about the leak. I can't tell you how offensive and indignifying it is as a black queer attorney to read words written by a white man comparing the Roe v. Wade decision to Plessy v. Ferguson. For those of you that didn't go to law school or those who did and didn't pay attention in con law, Plessy v. Ferguson is the separate but equal education case. You know what's separate but equal? The state of abortion law in America. That's what's separate but equal. The fact that not every American citizen can wake up in the morning and say, I want an abortion. Oops, can't. I'm in Texas. I got to travel a thousand miles to Denver, Colorado to get my essential health care. That's separate but equal. Multiple states have passed state-level restrictions on the right to an abortion. One of the most severe restrictions went into effect in Texas. Abortion providers in Colorado have already seen a surge in patients coming from other states. Adrian Monsonaras is president and CEO of Planned Parenthood in the Rocky Mountains. So I'm going to thank my colleagues who not only worked a full day today with walk-ins, with people traveling hundreds of miles for abortion care, People coming in with children, because most of our patients seeking abortion care are already parents. They are ready to give to the kids that they have. They want to build up their families. They want to finish college. They want control of their own bodies, and they don't want to be followed from Texas with a price tag on their head. And that's what we see. Reproductive right advocates and others who feel threatened by the implications of the language contained within the draft opinion say 
They plan to keep up pressure, including with a rally in Longmont Saturday. For KGNU, I'm Alexis Kenyon. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a low in the mid-20s and a 40% chance of snow showers. Some thunder is also possible. Thursday, expect sunny skies with a high in the mid-50s. Thursday night should be mostly clear with a low in the mid-30s. Friday calls for mostly sunny skies with a high around 60 degrees and wind gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. Friday night, expect mostly clear skies with a low around 40 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, May 4th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hey there, Kodo listeners. It's Sarah Holbrook here, the executive director of the Pinhead Institute, bringing STEM education to the region of southwestern Colorado. Um, Hey, all you parents of little pinheads, we have spaces left in our summer camps and even some of our spring classes as well. And this summer we're going to offer lunchtime supervision. So if you have your kid in a morning camp with us and an afternoon camp with someone else, uh, you can sign up for supervised lunchtime uh, through Pinhead. Uh, Anyhow, get on board, check it all out at pinheadinstitute.org. And if you click on classes and camps and then summer camps 2022 you'll see all of our offerings we have some cool articles today from the new york times science times including venoms may cure what ails you yes indeed the study of natural toxins in snakes spiders and scorpions have led to drug discoveries and as an aside i will mention that most summers pinhead sends an intern off to do forensic entomology. And did you know that the University of Arizona has the nation's number one entomology program? Yes, it does. And you know who has contacts with that program? That's right, Pinhead. So we send kids who are interested in studying forensics to go study the bugs that grow on dead animals that they find in the deserts outside of Tucson, Arizona. I think that sounds pretty cool. I hope you guys do as well. Also, we have another kind of crazy article, and that is about a new um, rocket booster with a new company. It's not SpaceX, which has done this before. It's the only other company that has done this. But now it's Rocket Lab, a small company with a small rocket, um, did a launch from the east coast of New Zealand, um, and it sent a payload of 34 small planets into orbit. And then retrieval helicopters actually managed to retrieve the rocket body Um, to snagging its boosters in mid-air, if you can believe it. Unfortunately, after they had a successful snagging, um, the pilots reported that the booster wasn't hanging quite below the helicopter in the same way as during test runs, so they actually released it. And then surprisingly, were able to recover it from the ocean. The idea of snagging it mid-air means that um, they don't have to worry about it getting covered with salt water. Anyhow, isn't science, technology, engineering, and math just fascinating? I hope you check out all of Pinhead's offerings on our website. Sign up for our emails also on our website. And if any of you know any animators who might want to work with a high schooler, please let me know as we are still looking for an animation internship for one of our wonderful interns. Thanks so much and check it all out again at pinnetinstitute.org. And if you are interested in knowing more about our scholarships, you can email me directly, sarah at pinnetinstitute.org. Thanks so much. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. 
You are also invited to express your views after the news. We're on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.